Welcome to Imperfect Allies. My name is Chris. And I'm Richie. And we're here to talk to each other about what it's like to be white and what it's like to be black in America. Our goal is to have a candid conversation about race and how it impacts and intersects our daily life, as well as our country. The episodes offered here are based around real, candid conversations that Chris and I have that are available if you support the show. From those conversations, we take a deep dive into topics that we discover to better empathize and understand ourselves and our American culture. If you like the show, please comment and subscribe and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Allies Imperfect. Well, let's start the show. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Imperfect Allies. This is Richie and Chris, and we are glad to be here. Chris, I'm <laughs> I'm tired tonight, but I am glad to be with you uh, talking about some some maybe some difficult things tonight. This might be a tough one. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we got a we got a question from our patron, one of our Patreons uh, supporters, and and uh, we appreciate that very very much. And the first question that we got was, "What is black culture?" Oh, wow! That's a <laughs> that's a beautiful question. <laughs> it is. It is a good question, and we've talked a little bit about this in some of our candid episodes. We talked a little bit about this in our first podcast but we wanted to kind of go into a little bit more depth and maybe help clarify what that what we're talking what we're talking about at least and hopefully what uh give you a little clarification on what people talk about when they talk about black, black culture yeah definitely and i think you know an important starting point is something that you had mentioned in the previous episode i believe it was our our very first episode you mentioned what culture was do you the definition you had so what is the definition of culture? Well, uh, there is, there's the, the dictionary definition, uh, but uh, sociologists and anthropologists would kind of have argued about what this is. And I, I found a definition that Greg Carr gives from Howard University. It simply is culture is what we do. It's what's been passed down. It's learned behavior that becomes so ingrained that we do it without thinking. That's kind of how he put it. And I love, I love that. And it felt very right to me. Yeah, I, I I love that too. So for anyone that's kind of curious where culture comes from, you just got to look backwards. Where did we get this? What is it passed down from? And the biggest difference between white culture and black culture is the roots. You got European roots for white culture and you got African roots for black culture. And what's unique about the experience in America and probably in um, Britain, maybe a little bit as well, but as Americans, we can see British culture pretty clear, but here in America, it might be difficult to see, um, white culture and maybe black culture stands out or vice versa. If you're in a certain group, cause I know black people, we believe we see white culture clear as day. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, black culture, I, I really, well, like and that, can I, I would like to speak to that a little bit. Oh yeah, go ahead. Right, because and um, you hear you hear people, civil rights leaders talk about this, uh, whether it's MLK or, or Malcolm X or uh, any any of those at Baldwin, they they talked about this that they had to know white culture mm. because their lives depended on it. I had to know what the master looked like, what the master did, what moods the master was in, and I know people have a hard time bringing down. Uh, or bringing history forward 
connecting with that past and say, well, I don't, I'm not a master now. I don't own any slaves. I don't, I don't, I'm not racist and da, 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 which I understand because you're, you're not, of course you don't own slaves, which is wonderful. At the same time, the more that we talk about culture, things get passed down, right? As it gets clearer, you can, you can start to actually see where the culture lies. Yeah. And if you look back and see, well, why do we, you know, it's the story of the lady that cut, you know, she was teaching her daughter how to cook, took a ham, cut off both sides of the ham, put it in the pan, put it in the oven. And the daughter asked the mom, like, well, why do we cut off the sides of the ham? And she's like, well, that's just how you cook. <laughs> and the daughter's like, well, that's strange. I don't understand. I don't understand why. And the mom's like, well, I, my mom taught me that. So let's go ask her. And they go ask the grandma, you know, grandma, why did you cut the sides off the ham? And she said, well, because so the ham could fit in the pan that I had. <laughs> right yeah. right and so some of these things that's unconscious we we just pick it up and move along with it and it's taught to us by people that we love and care about and to have good intentions or whatever else but some some of these things you know get pulled down uh we we, we don't know ourselves now if we can't if we can't look back at our history and see where it started and that's exactly what we have to do to just understand black culture, you know, in present day 2020. But also, if you go back a few years, if I go to my parents, black culture, it is different. You know, culture does change mm -hmm. over time. And so I don't I know some listeners, you might hear us generalize and, you know, cast wide nets. And so I want to clarify that culture is going to be different based on generations and that's a huge piece. It's also going to be different with slight variations, depending on what part of the country you're in, but really generations are going to change a lot. And so when I think of black culture, first thing I like to connect to in present day is hip hop. You know, hip hop is such a clear, distinct image of black culture in present day 2020. But what I love about hip hop is that's not my mom's culture. She is not about it. She doesn't connect with it very well and so you yeah. gotta you gotta break down different pieces of the culture but if you look at hip-hop today um there are some beautiful things and there are some frustrating things about hip-hop and if we forget how we got to hip-hop then we lose a lot of the idea of black culture and so you know hip-hop comes from rhythm and blues it comes from the oral traditions of uh, expressing oneself and passing down storytelling and african roots um it, it comes from the reality of being in america and having your stories not part of mainstream stories and so you have to share them in your own enclaves and this rhythmic style of communication has such deep African roots to the drums and the tribal connections. And so you can see this distinct image of black music. When we think of American music, I, I feel like hip hop is a beautiful example of being uniquely black. And of course it is spread throughout the world to be more of American. But when you come to the roots here, hip hop is black, you know? And, yeah. um, I, I, I love it. I love hip hop. I love rap. It You don't have to have an instrument to become a rapper. You don't have to be able to afford a trumpet. You don't have to be able to afford a expensive piano. You know, I think there's a lot of um, reality in the fact that in America, black and brown people were disadvantaged. And so 
hip hop was birthed out of that disadvantage. And that's a very clear piece of black culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that two turntables and a microphone thing that you hear on Beck songs. I mean, that's, that's legit. That came out of Brooklyn <laughs> yes. playing records and, 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 and playing beats, uh, just going back and forth between a couple of records to, to create beats for people to, to rhyme over, you know, and it didn't take a lot. It didn't take a ton of money. And, um, I mean, I, I, I also, I also love hip hop too. Um, I, uh, I like to talk about some of the positive things that come out of it. Cause I know that there are people will say, well, hip hop culture, and they'll think like, I don't know, Tupac and Biggie and people dying and getting shot and, you know, or, you know, I don't even know who, who I, mean, talk, I mean, yeah, present day, present day criticism yeah. is um, yeah. Nicki Minaj or Cardi yeah. B and yeah. sexualization and things like that. So, yeah, those things are there, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that while uh, while th those are representations of Cardi B or that's a representation, uh, DMX is a representation of DMX. Uh, and the whole, all, all, every piece of it is, is hip hop that there are like, I don't know. There are things that go across the board, the culture of hip hop that are not those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Well, and, and I think, I think both of them are, are valuable to focus on just because the negatives, they were, they, they have a root cause which is go. also very important to trace backwards. Um, and so, you know, the first thing that I, I definitely want to focus on from hip hop, hip hop was birthed out of the generation after the civil rights movement. So you're looking at the, the eighties and the nineties, you know, following from the sixties the and seventies. And during this time, people of African descent are in America looking for ways to communicate with each other and share our stories because we are storytelling people as all humans are, but our culture was not mainstream. And so music was the way for us to communicate. And so in hip hop, you see a lot of lessons being taught. You see a lot of education being spread. And what's ironic is rap music actually increased the vocabulary of many African-Americans in the United States because it was a requirement to really decipher all the messaging. And so it's a, a beautiful art form for um, making metaphors and communicating the reality of Americans, or black Americans, what life is like, how you should maneuver in the world, what you should be doing to improve yourself. And, you know, the black queens, the, the black kings, that topic is deeply communicated within the music and if you aren't someone who can speak the language you might just hear hoopity hoppity hippity hoppity fast language being spoken really quickly mm -hmm. but there's there's so much to decipher there and it's so valuable to hear those messages and to communicate together yeah absolutely and i think too like the net like the negative messages on the other side of that like you hear about gang violence and, and stuff or you know uh anti-police sentiment i'll say the white version of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it's it's from it's from legit real experience they're not speaking out of uh out of a constructed narrative they're speaking out of well you know i don't like the police because you know my cousin got shot or 
my eye got shot or, you know, those kind of things, or I don't like this crew because, you know, they're, they've been treating this whole neighborhood wrong or whatever that is. I mean, they're, they're speaking from real experience and, 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 and and authenticity is so important. Like, you know, there are, there are, you know, you always hear people like talking about fake rappers and stuff like that, or just people that are being (laughs) fake at the same and, and, and fake. Well, I'm trying to keep my language so we can stay a (laughs) PG podcast, but fake shit doesn't hold up. No, you know, in, in hip hop at all. Can you speak about that authenticity? What, like what that means to the, to the culture as, as a whole. Let's see the, the first, the first aspect is if, if I can't trust you, if you're not showing yourself to be true, then you are more of a danger to society than anybody else. Because, Mm -hmm. um, it, it, if it's ingenuine, I don't know whose uh, best interest you are thinking about. You might be, if I'm going back to, um, times where the world was segregated, you might be someone that is trying to harm me because you're racist or whatever that may be. And so you're going to be disingenuous. You're going to trick me because if we go back to slavery, if you've heard of the fugitive slave law, it was a law that said, if I'm a free black person, I can just be kidnapped and thrown into slavery just because you tricked me. And, um, there's plenty of stories like Solomon Northup, just like that. So being real and being authentic is first sign of detection, right? It's a detection warning if someone's fake. And then on top of that, in the hip hop industry, you, you as a brother and sister, as a collective nation, we know who you are. You have to be, you have to show up real every day to survive in this country. And and you need to be real with us because we're family. Like there's no need to be lying and cheating and backstabbing. And so authenticity is a huge piece of black culture and definitely in the hip-hop industry if you're not a real rapper you you better rap about what you know and don't try and be some fake gangster rapper um so if you if you like birthday parties that needs to be what you're rapping about yeah yeah and i mean (laughs) i think of andre three i think (laughs) i think of like outcast like you can rap about birthday parties it's okay like and it can be good (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, uh, but I, but I hear that. And, and I think, I think, you know, I may be doing some little, a little language translation, uh, real meaning being honest. Yes. Being honest, being honest about your experience, being honest about who did what. Um, and, and, uh, and you know, why you would or wouldn't trust this person or this group of people <laughs> from yep. your experience, experience, honest experience is so, so important to the, to the, to the culture, to the, well, just the this music culture. Yeah. And then just the way we walk in the world is that same way. So if we pull out of music and we're just talking about every day, because the world is the way it is, black Americans have to be real about their situation. We need to truly understand what's in front of us so that we are prepared to handle life as it's thrown to us. You might've heard recently that, you know, black parents have to give their kid the talk and they're not talking about sex. They're talking about how to interact with police officers. That is an example of being real, of being authentic, of treating the situation exactly how it is so that you are prepared and don't make a mistake. And that, realness is pervasive so unfortunately what also happens is if there are negatives in the situation they're going to be really 
talked about, which some people consider that consider that amplifying some negative traits like gang violence. If it's a reality in some communities, our music is going to reflect the reality instead of manicure it or hide it. It's going to be out in the open. And so many people say black culture is violent. It is mm-hmm. um, g- gangs, drugs, sex. No, those are reporters accurately reporting on the reality of their situation. And it's, it's very different. Um, I, I love NWA because if you look at Ice Cube, he is not a gangbanger. He lives in a neighborhood that has gangbangers. So he literally is reporting on his life in um, central LA. And so you have to remove, um, you have to remove some of your maybe ill will or, or uncomfortability when you're looking at hip hop, because there are some things that you're not going to like. So, you know, um, Cardi B and Megan Stallion just dropped a song called WAP, which is an acronym for a female's private part. And it's very sexual and it's very, um, very uncomfortable to think about that this is the message being sent out to women is that they are there for sex and they got the best sex and you want to come and be with a woman like this. But if you look at the reality of black communities being ravaged in the removal of black men, either from gang violence, either from um, over policing, um, either from the fact that the neighborhoods that they live in, the jobs have been removed. You look at poor schools and you look at um, food deserts. These things are going to negatively impact the community to where there's not enough men who have opportunities to, you know, be fathers and be providers. And so it diminishes the man in the situation. And you look at welfare and how they negatively targeted black men and paid women who stay single. These things are going to reduce the ability of a man to lead and There are going to be fewer men in the neighborhood, which means those few men that are actually there have the pick of the litter with the women. So then they're not going to be tied down, which will then cause women to have to be more sexual to even get a man in the first place. And so if you look at uh, Megan Stallion and Cardi B and you're saying, oh, the black community, I just hate that they do that. And that's their problem. And you never recognize what got them there. You aren't doing enough homework and you are negatively judging someone when you don't even understand the full breadth of the situation. And I I get frustrated when I hear people condemn black culture when they ignore what caused black culture to be the way it is in many ways. And so I I love that our listeners are curious about black culture, but I also want to be able here to say, hey, look, there are some negatives and some positives, but you got to understand where those negatives came from first and foremost. Absolutely. And if you look at those stereotypes, like over-sexualization of, of black women, for instance, that didn't start. Um, uh, it's not a recent invention. That's 250 years old. There yeah. are like publications and stuff about the exotic black woman and how, and and man, and, and that's, that's where the stereotype of like black guys having, you know, big penises and stuff like that is like, which great. What a great stereotype, uh, you know, but <laughs> at the yeah. same time, it can be damaging because, um, 
any well stereotypes can be damaging in general it's fetish fetish fetishizing fetishizing yep we can we can both say the word (laughs) 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 fetishizing yeah absolutely and that started a long long time ago and i think what you see is is it's uh similar with the n-word right so there's there are some things in which uh are just are are like you know what i'm gonna own it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna own it cardi b is a I think that she's very powerful. She's she's very sexual at the same time. Like, I res- like I'm not. That's not my lifestyle, but I kind of respect <laughs> like respect because to be that to be that open about how sexual you are in such a uh, society that doesn't necessarily value that um, that that actually gave that label in the first place mm-hmm. to sort of denigrate and put down to say, okay, fine, this is it. Well, check it out. I mean, I think that's another layer of that too, you know? Um, it's the double down. You're going to say this about me. Okay. I'm going to make yeah. it work for me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, and I'm going to be proud of what that, what that is. And I, it's just another, to me, it's another form of strength that I see over and over uh, in, in, in the, in the black community is that the taking what you're going to, you've said about me for so long, owning it in some way, and because uh, that's not all that she is, um, mm. you know, and, and, and even, yeah, like even even like gangs like Killer Mike has a show on Netflix, which is uh, pretty interesting. But one of the he spends a lot of time with one of the gangs, um, one of the well, it's like, a you know, the neighbor, it's like block to block, I guess, at some points in the in the in Atlanta. And they were just talking about like, we don't go around killing people. We're here to protect this neighborhood from other people like the police don't come down here like this is what this is what we're doing. You know, and uh, I was just so interesting to me, for me to see that because I think I, I grew up with the idea that gangs were all about killing and robbing and all that stuff. And that's really that's not really accurate. <laughs> well, if anybody knows the stereotypical two gangs in the black community, you have the Bloods and the Crips and mm-hmm. those names are acronyms. OK, those names are acronyms. Because these gangs are originally built to protect their communities. And so blood is brotherly love overcomes, overrides, and overrides destruction. All right. Mm. Crips is community revolution in progress. So these groups are not what you believe to be groups birthed out of the need and propensity to commit violence these groups were actually built out of the need to protect their communities from the outside world that was built to denigrate them yeah absolutely and 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 they're also human right so they make mistakes you know just like anybody else and and i see this a lot and uh i'd like to i don't don't know that we we kind of touched on black culture a little bit it's so, it's so much broader than hip hop, but hip hop is a great place to start. Yes. Um, you know, it's cause there, a lot of it's there. Um, but that does lead into the idea of, um, black pe- black equals criminal mm. or, or black neighborhoods equal crime ridden neighborhoods. And yeah, yeah. I, like I, to, I don't know. I, I find this so interesting because People believe that the culture is so pervasive, the the criminality in the culture, that if you listen to the music, you are going to commit a crime. <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah. I listen to hip hop all the time 
Okay. It does not lead me to then go out and do crime. That to me is really uh, comical because I'm sure many people watched Dexter and did not go out murdering people. I'm pretty sure people watched Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? And did not go out fighting everybody. There's so many uh, art forms that have violent, harsh realities in the art form, and it doesn't cause you to go out and do that. So I always find that that perspective is very interesting because crime is more a proponent of your situation than it is your race, than it is your um, exposure. It is literally you are in a situation that the chances of you climbing up the ladder are so minor, so minimal, that it makes more sense logically to you as a human to survive by going against the laws because that's the only other way you have to make it. Right. And 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 the, and the, the offer is this. I don't have any support. I don't have a mom. Like, l- l- let's just say this. I do have aunts and uncles, but what if I'm living in a poor neighborhood, I, they're all broke anyway. Mm-hmm. So I can go to McDonald's and get a job for eight or eight or nine dollars an hour, whatever, seven dollars, whatever it is. When I started, it was when I started working, my first job was three dollars and 15 cents per hour. I, I was yep. washing dishes in the 90s. Nice. So, yeah. So, um, you know, that's you can do that and still not get your needs net needs met work 40, 50 hours a week, still not get your, just your needs met. And then you got maybe, maybe you have a family or maybe you have extended family that you've got to take care of. Maybe your, your grandmother or something like that. So, so oftentimes the people that get caught up in this, say, let's say drug dealing, for instance, they're sure. There are selfish people that just want to be like rich and screw everybody else. Just like any, just like all humans, like there's just part, there's just some of us that are always going to be out for ourselves. But we can't ignore the ones that are doing it to take care of their people. Yeah. You know? And and I also asked you, Richie, when you were working that job, did you believe that you could one day move up in that job? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, and, well, yeah. I mean, I've never I have never been in a job where I felt like I couldn't go couldn't go up, couldn't, you know. I always do. I always dream about that or, or think about that as like, okay, what, what if I was running things and how do I get there? You know, exactly. And I think, you know, some of our listeners, they hear, well, if Richie took a low paying job, why couldn't they? And what we miss, the, the detail that you miss with that thought process is you still have to believe that this job will then result in a future growth. And in America, especially back in the 80s, um, when hip hop and um, you know the the gang culture of hip hop grew, that was a time period where if you didn't have the means, and first off, a, a company had to be nearby for you to get to the job. <laughs> you know, we yep. know these neighborhoods were landlocked and didn't have a lot of resources. So first, you have to have a place close enough for you to get the job. And then in that job, you have to believe that the company is going to promote you within that company. And if there is systemic racism, as many of us are learning for the first time exists, systemic racism is going to reduce your chances of survival in that setting. And so traditionally, if you are a young male at the peak of testosterone and you need to be performing at the time of your life where you have the most energy and you're 
your opportunities for jobs are low, then the best thing you can do is resort to crime so that you can then get your needs met. But at the same time, your your testosterone is actually valued. You're actually getting positive feedback. You know, this is actually a finally a situation that says, you know what, young man, you actually have potential here. And that is a huge difference in why someone would move from crime to um, a square job. Yeah. And, and, and I will ask the white listeners this question. Picture a black rich person. And uh, let's say rich, let's say they make $250,000 a year. They're high, upper middle class. They own a boat. They own two houses. I don't know. Some, some, something like that, right? High, lots and lots of money. Uh, think about that person for a second. And does the word exceptional come to your mind? Do you think of that person as an exceptional black person? And if you do, I think that's where that's the, like, you need to check that, right? Because they are like all U.S. citizens. Sure, there are, there are people that are do well for themselves, but exceptional means exception to the rule. And the rule being, well, you're supposed to be poor. Mm. And, and, and I, I don't know, I don't know if people will glom onto that, but I, I would challenge if that word comes up when you think of, of something like that. And of course there are exceptional people. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is there is nothing, um, exotic or, <laughs> Uh, or exceptional about a wealthy black person. They're just a person who is wealthy. If that makes any sense, because there is no, there really is no rule that, that black people um, commit more crimes or are poorer, those kind of things. And, and I want to also point out that if you see evidence of a black person or black people in general committing more crimes, you have to then take into consideration the uh, full spectrum, right? Because there was yeah. a time where Irish Americans were the dominant forces of criminality. And th- during that time period, Irish Americans were kept out of the workforce. They weren't considered white. They were considered Irish. So they were considered less than their opportunities for growth in the businesses were lower. And then you start seeing the rise of mob activity there's no um there it's not a oh coincidence it's literally the reality of the situation is when you have people who are forcefully kept out of progress their best option is to turn to crime not because they are innately criminal but because they are human and they have needs that need to be met and so many people look at today's data and they go see it is black people But they forget that just 20, 30 years ago, the biggest issues or more, I forget, it's 2020 now. So 50, (laughs) 50, 60 years ago, the biggest uh, proponents of crime were in the Irish community, right? So if you can't make that translation, if you can't make that connection back, then you're really caught up in this present moment. And I think that's one thing we've talked about is some people forget to look back just a few years to really understand the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another Patreon um, uh, supporter asked about statistics. Um, they, they had some sort of had some exceptions to some of the things that we had said. And so um, I uh, went to the Bureau of Justice to Statistics, um, which is a, a federal uh, 
Bureau uh, that was established in uh, 1979 under uh, the Justice System Improvement Act of 1979. Nice. And has been in, been in place um, since then. And what they do is review um, crime statistics from uh, state, state and local law enforcement to kind of understand crime in the U.S., and they did a, a, a large study. It's called the Household Poverty and Non-Fatal Violent Victimization Study of 2008 to 2012. And they go through a ton of data, and it's all available online at BJ, bjs.gov. Uh, but some of the highlights from this particular uh, finding were that, um, let's see, person, let's see, uh, we get, let me get down to it. Sorry. Okay. So this is, there's some really interesting facts. Poor persons living in urban areas had violent victim and victim and victimization rates similar to poor persons living in rural areas. So urban and rural areas that are uh, living in the same conditions had this almost identical level of violence. Okay. Poor urban blacks had rates of violence similar to poor urban whites. And actually urban blacks had 51.3 acts of violence per a thousand people poor whites had 56.4 per a thousand people. And uh, another one that kind of blows my mind that leads into kind of this talk about um, Hispanics, poor Hispanics had lower rates of violence compared to poor whites and poor blacks. 25.3 per a thousand of the population where whites had the other, you know, 46 and uh, blacks had 43 per a thousand. So it's, it's, these are, this is data that people have asked for about when we talk about black neighborhoods or black violence or black crimes. Now the FBI did a study as well. And there are, there have been more on, uh, on average, more black men have been arrested for murder, uh, than white men. There is that statistic again, what Chris talked to uh, earlier and what we've been saying is okay. That's a statistic that we have to deal with. Now, why is that happening? So with, with the ones I gave you from the household poverty and non-fatal violent victimization study, uh, that shows you that crime is more based on social and economic status. It, well, it is. That's where mm-hmm. you see higher crimes with lower, uh, lower uh, higher poverty levels, lower income levels things like that. And we have to look at why those things are in place. It's not because people are lazy. Sure. There are lazy people out there and sure there are white and black lazy people. That's to, to, to paint with such a broad brush about these really highly negative things. It does you a disservice in in your, in your understanding of what, of what, uh, what's going on in the country. Exactly. And it's also very important because if you understand that there are multiple types of crime, there are multiple distinctions, you could also look at the data that you have seen that say black people this or black people that, and you go, I wonder what crime statistic they're using because if there are more black people committing homicide, that's a intimate crime. That isn't a crime that is just rampantly all over the place. 90% of homicides are are um you know with someone that they know and so it's important to also look at at these distinctions because if you look at you know sexual assault which is a crime 
you know, what classification of people are the highest there. If you look at pro- property, um, yeah. uh, what is the, I forgot, lost property the word. Crime. Yeah. Yeah. That is something that is widespread as well. And so these statistics that you see spread all over the news are typically cherry picked to fit whatever the argument is. And you want to be able to look at that too and just judge it openly because crime is going to be more dependent on the socioeconomics. And if you also have heard of the Gini coefficient, it's a it's an algorithm that can predict crime simply based on the stratification of the haves and the have-nots and how close they are to each other. And it is a better example of what I mentioned earlier. If you are in a situation where you have not and your chances of getting anything are slim to none, you will result to crime because the person that has it all is right across the street. And so we see this happening tremendously. And if you look back at data that we've talked about in previous episodes about the um, housing situation in America with redlining, you're going to see poor neighborhoods not too far away from very affluent neighborhoods. And those lines were drawn and perpetuated on purpose. And that leads to more crime. And so it has way more to do with the situation than just race. And I think we should all know that openly because we're all humans. And if you're individualist, you understand that as well. But um, these things are spouted on the news. Yeah, they are. And I think people believe them. And I think there's, I think there is probably a time where I believe that, that, that black people were more violent. I think as part of, um, because this is, this is, and I think this is why for me, at least, um, I saw the news and the news had nothing but black, black criminals shooting each other in black neighborhoods. And then I listened to hip hop music and they were talking about shooting people. And I'm like, okay, okay. And not really any experience with a, a, a large group of black people. And I just took that not asking, not integrating, not, not connecting with black people um, and to really understand what was happening. And so just made assumptions. You just make assumptions and everybody does this. We do, we do this with it, with anything that we don't, we don't really look into. And I think there is a um, danger in and we talked about this before, citing one source, going to one source and seeing, okay, awesome. CNBC says this, I believe it. Fox mm-hmm. News said this, I believe it. Instead of instead of going and finding dissenting opinions, but it's hard. It's currently hard, man. I mean, I I, I asked, um, you know, I've got a few conservative people that I, uh, I really, well, I have lots of conservative people I respect, but, you know, like just as far as talking about this stuff, and I, and I asked a question about, um, about a decision that the president made. And, and it was, I, I, I'm, I'm asking, Hey, I, I like to understand this. And they said, well, you're illogical and you're not making any sense. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay. I said, well, the narrative, what we were talking about was the, the US, USPS stuff has come, that's come up recently and how Trump has said several times that if, you know, if, if, uh, vote by mail was really, you know, going full speed that, you know, Republicans wouldn't, wouldn't win elections. He said, he said that and, and, and said, I'm summer, I'm summarizing. I don't have the exact quote. I apologize, but it's similar to that. And, and, um, and anyway, so I was trying to understand this because from what I, where I'm sitting, it looks like he really doesn't want, want the want mail-in voting to happen. So I asked conservatives, you know, why is this, how is this not that? And, and, that's kind of where that started was like, oh, well, you're not, you know, 
you're wrong, you're illogical. There's a difference between mail-in ballots and absentee voting, which I couldn't find. And I asked like, would you please cite sources? And they said, it's common knowledge, just Google it. And I did, and I went through Google. I'm like, I can't find it. Even the government website, it's like interchanges those two things. It's the same thing. Um, so I don't know what the term, I was trying to get the terminology about what this person was talking about and they wouldn't mm -hmm. give it to me. And another person said, I said, well, okay, so, you know, from, from my point of view, the, the left's narrative is, um, this, you know, this is damaging to democracy. And I was restating some of the things he said, and it sounds like the right's narrative is, uh, this is not because the post office will survive whether they get this budget or not. And it doesn't, it doesn't deter or make it harder on anybody and things like that. And I said, that's the narrative. And, the, and then immediately it was like, that's not a narrative. That's just logical. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, that is so funny because that's how our brains work is if it is the out group, it's easy to dehumanize it and call it illogical. But in your own group, it makes so much sense to you that there's no questioning it. And we see this happen with race. We see this happen with ideologies, with axioms. What you believe is what you know. And so mm -hmm. you have to do work. It takes work to be aware it. If you are a person that listens to MSNBC, I need you to start watching Fox. And I don't need you to watch Fox to roll your eyes. I don't need you to watch Fox to condemn. I don't need you to watch Fox to prove that you're right. I need you to listen and understand what it is they notice in the world that you are oblivious to. Because there are some yeah. things and it just takes work. It does. It does because it bounces against... And that's a good, I mean, that's a good point. It bounces against what you understand to be logical or rational. You know, so there are some things that the president has said that I've tried to like, I don't, I, I, for the life of me, cannot understand what he, what he, how he can mean these positively and how these things could be good and stuff like that. And so I'm, I listen to conservative folks to, to try to understand, or at least Trump supporters that try to understand um, what, you know, what they're hearing. Cause it feels oftentimes that it's not, and it's hard. It's very hard. It feels like cognitive dissonance a little bit because yep. I'm holding these two ideas at the same time. If the goal is to try to understand someone versus try to prove them wrong, uh, I'm finding that it's, it's a much better personal practice for me to, to find out where it's to turn that, to turn that criticism, like, well, okay, well, where could I be wrong? And where, what are they trying to really, what are they really trying to say? Yeah. You know? Um, which that I commend you for being, for practicing that because oftentimes you do also run into the fact that they don't understand your motives. Now, if you're not trying to win the argument, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I'm not some, uh, I'm not trying to be sanctimonious. I mean, I've argued with people. I've called people out on, on bullshit and <laughs> fought with them <laughs> online and, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't no. work. It doesn't do anything. I, I feel better about myself. Like, oh, how, look how right I am. Well, that's a shitty feeling and gross feeling. So I don't want to feel that. Like, I, that's, it's not about me being right. It's about like, what are we doing good for the country or for one another or for ourselves? Like, uh, that, it, uh, when it, when it flipped to turn to try to empathize with someone, you're right. It's hard because people do, they do question your motives. And, um, you know, I was, I was using some, uh, it's called nonviolent communication. And it, the idea is that you, when you listen to someone, you, you, you state what you heard, 
you know, to try yes. to find out better, right. What they, what they said. And so uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll try to summarize what somebody said and, um, and that's not what I said know, at all. <laughs> that's not what I said at all. And that's great because now, okay. So what, what do you mean? Because that's what I heard. Right. So it's good. I mean, that's, you know, you don't always want to be right when you, you know, when you're stating those things back. Right. Um, yeah. but I mean, it's the, the, that level of discourse is very suspect <laughs> to people. Like they're like, what are you trying, what trap are you trying to lay for me? Exactly. And I just think it's going to be, I just think it's going to be time. It takes time to get people to get people's trust that you're not going to attack even their position, you know? Um, I mean, cause there's, there's uh, the, you will not, you will not um, destroy a high wall you won't don't attack a walled city yeah that's art of war that's sun tzu man i mean don't do it they need to open the gates uh-huh they need to open the gates and the only way they can do that is through dialogue so let's talk let me bring you something let me bring you some empathy hopefully and really try to understand you and it's it's it can be difficult at the same time to me i found a, a higher level of satisfaction in that look i i'm I'm, you know, attempting this and I, I think I do understand people a little bit better. Um, I'm, I'm definitely don't agree with them and don't, don't, uh, I think their logic, you know, could be, there's, there's parts that are broken or there's logical fallacies in it. At the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, I guess negate, I don't know. I'm trying to say negate their beliefs, but there are some beliefs. I'm like, this is just crazy cuckoo nonsense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, well, I think, you know, for me, um, I've had my eyes open onto many things that I, that I used to write off um, based on, you know, the connections that I made. And I, I had a conversation in our group. Um, we have a, a group on Facebook called Imperfect Allies Learning Together. And what I love about this is we have people with different opinions and there's so many opportunities to learn. And I had a preconceived ideology about a, a, a political influencer by the name of Steve Bannon, which you might know him. And mm -hmm. what, I, what I believed to know about him was actually based off of very creditable misunderstandings like my misunderstandings yeah. made so much sense and they are very credible but they were missing they were missing a little small detail that kind of shattered my previous belief and that was uncomfortable to then admit that i had this thing wrong for the last 10 years you know that's that's uncomfortable um and so it takes boldness it takes strength to go into these conversations open willing to be the one that learns something in it and not always having to be right and really clarifying what is it that you're trying to say and asking them what they are trying to say because I don't I can't tell you how many times Richie I've been in arguments where the next line is you're twisting my words when I I wasn't intending to we just have a complete different paradigm and so when I say one word they interpret it differently and then when they say what they say, I interpret that differently. Yeah. I mean, it just goes back to what I was talking about before, like the word narrative. There's nothing inherently wrong with the word narrative. Nope. It's a beginning. It's a, it's a beginning, middle and end. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a story. It's, it's how we process information. 
you know, and, but to hear, but apparently from a hearing from a leftist, you know, this, this guy was like, that's you're, you're saying I'm being false or it means other things. It doesn't mean what I, that word doesn't mean what you think it means kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy to hear. (laughs) You've known that word your whole life. (laughs) Right. Right. And I've used it in that, used it in that context. And so, and it's the same. I mean, we all, we all have that, you know, black culture has words that uh, white culture misinterprets, I think. Yeah. Uses completely differently. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and probably vice versa. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anytime someone says you, uh, George Floyd should take a responsibility. That was the most racist thing I've heard all day, you know? And that person's like, I'm not racist. And it's, it's complete misunderstanding right back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's, that's why it takes, that's why it takes listening and talking to people that are different than you in some way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're finding that at least, you know, so, I mean, uh, so I hope that has helped people understand a little bit about, um, answered some of the questions from our Patreon folks. Uh, I really, we really appreciate your support listening to the show. We appreciate all the, the allies learning together that are, that are sharing what they know and trying to understand one another. And, uh, it's been a really great experience. It's been hard because we have learned things we've had to own up to things, you know, and they're different for all of us. We all have to learn and own up to different things. At the same time, it's to me, it's unprecedented in social media. What's kind of happening, right? Yeah. Is is, and it's not perfect. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about imperfect. <laughs> we're going. We're trying. We're 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 moving forward. We're learning. We're growing. We're we're not. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the all of the statistics. Um, or we, we're not, you know, experts in any way, except our own experience. And that is valuable. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, thanks everybody. Chris, do you have anything to add to the end of our show here? I just, you know, I just want people to understand that if you are hearing someone express their own personal experiences over data, that doesn't mean that that person is wrong. It means that their axiom, their value system is on um, tangible personal experience. And a lot of traditional cultures pass information through storytelling and through personal experience. And we also need to understand that there is benefits to the Western ideology of data and statistics and things that are um, verifiable over many iterations. But those two realities aren't wrong. One's not a lie and the other a truth. They are both true. And you need to learn how to value the other one before you write it off immediately. And so I know we've gotten feedback that we're speaking very generalized. Um, And I think one beautiful thing about this podcast is to learn the benefits of a anecdotal experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you find that anecdotally they add up. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, uh, that, that, you know, you know, we talked a little bit in about one of our candid conversations, which you can get on our Patreon page. 
<laughs> if you support the show. Yes. Uh, and hopefully we'll give you little clips and stuff as we go forward too. I like to, cause I really want y'all to, to hear those and, and be engaged in those as well, because they're a little more raw and a little more loose. Um, but I think they're really, really valuable. And um, one of the things that we talked about specifically with black culture um, is, you know, people want data on uh, whatever that is. Say, let's say police data reporting crimes or reporting um, abuse in some way. Well, if black people are being abused by the police and not talking to anybody about it, except just other black people, then we're not going to have data. Why would they report that? Because who would they report that to? Who do you report police abuse to? The police? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, yeah, I mean, you, you do. There are like internal investigative departments and things like that. But what but do at they the same do time, with it? <laughs> yeah, what do they do with it? It's a closed system. You don't see what's happening with it. And so, so, so I only say that to say like, ex- that's another way that experience is important. It is not the end of it but it is not dismiss. Don't dismiss it. You can't dismiss it. Not at all. And I think, I think this is a beautiful episode just to talk about some things that our, our listeners are expressing. And that means we're listening to you and we want to have this open dialogue. And so we are so thankful for any of our listeners, please, you know, rate us and leave us a comment or a review and we will mention you in a future episode because we just want to make sure that this is learning together and um, I just hope that you know we love y'all and we're so thankful and if you have any questions please reach out to us you can find us on Twitter at Allies Imperfect we're on Facebook at Imperfect Allies please reach out to us no matter what way you stream us on your podcasting app this has been a great episode of Imperfect Allies I'm Chris I'm Richie Till next time, thank y'all. All black, everything. Black cards, black cards, all black, everything. And I.